Today, we're talking with Adam Drowes, co-owner of Walker Drowes, an all-encompassing brand marketing agency. From the benefits of hustle and finding a way in the door, to the importance of tending to your whole self and finding people you can trust, I hope you'll find something here to support you on your journey as Adam shares what he would tell himself from where he is today. Welcome to I'd Tell Myself, where we dive into the individual journeys people have taken to professional success and share some of the lessons that they've learned along the way. I'm your host, Danielle Frankel. I've long believed that there are many ways to learn the important lessons in life. And while some lessons are only gained through personal experience, others can be learned less painfully from those ahead of us on their own journey. I hope you'll find something here to support you as we ask these individuals what they tell themselves from where they now sit. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. Hi, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm so glad you decided to do this interview with me. Oh my gosh, I'm so, so grateful and honored to be a part of it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, would you, uh, we'll start with some fast facts like we always do. Want to tell us who you are and what you do and why you're here today? Sure. Um, my name is Adam Drowes. Um, I'm owner of the agency Walker Drowes. We are a brand marketing agency based in Los Angeles. We also have headquarters in New York as well as teams globally. Um, at my agency, we are focused on the worlds of where celebrity, influencer, and brands collide. We focus on a significant amount of celebrity campaigns, programs, endorsements, collaborations, as well as we have a very robust PR and media division that focuses on a multitude of layers of public relations. And that falls within uh, features around uh, CEOs and and brands, uh, product programming, consumer, programming. Uh, we also have a big division that focuses on outdoor advertising and media. Uh, so we're really an agency focused on all the different areas of what brands need uh, to get in front of the consumer. That's a lot of different things. And I am not knowledgeable <laughs> really about any of them, except as a consumer of all of the beautiful images that come out of your events and such. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it's its own little ecosystem. It, it's quite complex and nuanced, but you know, I think a lot of people find it so fascinating because at the end of the day, what we do is meant to excite you and get you shopping and get you engaged in product and programs. And so you as the consumer, um, you experienced a lot of the efforts and things that we do. Um, just a lot of people don't know what happens behind the velvet curtain to make it come to fruition. Yeah, I, I imagine it's a lot more than I think it probably is. <laughs> so is this what you always wanted to do? Is this the kind of work that you imagined doing when you were growing up? No, um, it's really funny. Um, you know, I, I, when I was growing up, you know, I was very blessed to have two parents that really nurtured the artistic side of, of my brain. And so from a very young age, I was always involved in some kind of either performing or fine arts. Fine art was really where, you know, in my teenage years, um, I put so much of my energy and, you know, probably around 14 or 15, I had this real clear desire to become a fashion designer um, and like nothing swayed that objective for me. And for me, I, I, I went kind of headfirst into this idea of becoming a fashion designer. And you know, I left high school uh, early and went to New York and studied design and that kind of didn't click for me um, and I wasn't clicking with the design process of it all. And so then when I was about 20, just about to turn 21, I moved to London and I really just wanted to be around the fashion industry. I wanted to insert myself into what was going on on the runways in Europe. And it was just this romantic dream of being immersed into the fashion industry. Through that process, though, what happened was, is I became a lot more involved on the business side of fashion. So working on promotion, product development, campaign development, wholesale and retail sales strategies. And, you know, 
really was very creatively fulfilled putting brands together and giving them and nurturing them and making them successful to the outside world. Uh, so it, it really started from a creative place. And I was always quite apprehensive about going headfirst into the business side, but really quickly realized that the category of products that I was working with, the creatives that I surrounded myself with, the events and opportunities that I was able to participate in were, were so creatively fulfilling for me. Um, and I realized that that was actually what I was meant to be doing all along. That's awesome. That's a great discovery. Um, I have some questions if I can just dig like a little bit deeper because what you just described, I feel like is life that a lot of people would be really interested in, you know? So you moved to New York, you got involved in the fashion industry. How did you, did, were you an intern? Did you find a job? Did you build relationships? You know, same thing. Like you flew across the pond, showed up one day and you were like, Hey, I'm here for a job. Or how did, <laughs> what did you do in London? Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I kind of have always viewed myself as like an ultimate hustler. Like I got to find a way to get in the door with everything in life. How I got my foot in the door um, was always done kind of in unconventional ways. And so when I first went to London, I was there uh, on a student visa, taking some classes. You know, my parents thought that I was there to actually like, you know, further my education. And I really was just trying to find a way to get into London. Um, and in when I was there, in one of the first days, one of the professors had told the class that in the library is a database of every designer, every brand that shows. And, you know, if you want to start to like, you know, work at the fashion shows and participate and intern, you know, there's a whole Bible there. And so literally like that, right after that class, I went to the library and I Xeroxed every page of that database and then just started cold calling. And it was so really old school. <laughs> real old school. And we, and, and I, and I cold call and like on the second phone call, I called this brand, which was a very popular brand at the time called Preen. Um, it was like one of the hottest young designers of London. And I called cause I wanted to like work for them or work with them. And oddly enough, uh, the, the phone number was for their publicity agency. And so the owner of the publicity agency was the one who picked up the phone. And I think he was just really curious that this American kid was calling and like, hey, I want to work for you. And what do I need to do? And he literally said, come into the uh, come into the office tomorrow and, and, and I'll, you know, we'll meet and talk. And I met with him and his name was Philip Stevens. And he had a huge agency called Concrete PR and Marketing. He looked after probably 25 of like the hottest brands in London. And he and I had a great rapport. And he's like, it's no joke. It's blood, sweat and tears. I have no money for you, um, but I will give you access and have you work as much as you want to work. And so I started interning with him. Then probably two weeks into it, he offered me a, a unpaid job. <laughs> uh, he really liked me, but he had no money for me. And he's like, you know, I don't have any money, but if you want to work here and you need me to sign your work visa, um, I'll do it. And so two weeks later, I dropped out of school. My parents were thrilled. <laughs> So not, super excited. So excited. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what started my career. And for three years, I worked for him for chump change. I cocktail waitered at night. I was on three hours sleep for four years. Um, but I was just getting myself in front of people. And what I've learned, you know, then and what I know to this day is just put me in front of somebody just get me in front of them and I'll take care of the rest. And so that was just the real mentality at the time. I think that in fashion in America, there is a level of preen and polish that one has to, to, to uh, have in order to get their foot in the door. It's like the Vogue effect. Like you need to be extremely well-educated. You need to be, you know, very polished in the way that you present yourself. Um, but in London and in the in Europe, it was this this clash of cultures and this clash of creatives. And 
I think that to get your foot in the door, you just had to shove your foot in there. Um, and so I was so blessed to have that opportunity because I think if I had stayed in New York and tried to work my way up the ladder, it just, I didn't come from that type of work experience or background or education. Um, so I don't think it would have taken me down the path that it took me to. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's such an interesting insight. So few of us are familiar, frankly, with, you know, the different versions of the fashion world. Most of us are limited to our rewatchings of the Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So it's really just, it's really interesting to hear how the different cultures have, have, you know, created different opportunities and and sort of different breeds of fashion. For sure. I mean, from in my world, you know, I was always taught that, you know, New York and Paris are like the epicenters of fashion. And that's what you as the consumer are taught that like, that's where fashion is. And I was in London for, you know, six and a half, seven years, um, just like working the hustle in a very different space. But because of that, what ended up happening was, is that I started to get attached to more and more interesting projects. And um, it was in 2005 that I was uh, working with a Oscar nominated costume designer, um, Ariane Phillips. I was working with her on Madonna's uh, tour. So they were looking to me to bring brands and create custom and bespoke product for Madonna for that tour. And what was so interesting about that was A, it was, you know, this icon that we were working with, but B, Ariane was based in Los Angeles. And I was like, hmm, you know, here's this like leader of iconic style and she's not in New York either. Um, and in that same exact month, I got a call from a very young celebrity stylist at the time named Rachel Zoe. And Rachel Zoe was doing Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore and Lucy Liu for the European tour of Charlie's Angels. And all of a sudden I'm like another major celebrity moment. And this girl is in Los Angeles as well. Um, so I, I've always been really receptive to what's going on around me in the industry, what's going around me in, in society. I, I'm very aware. And so for me, I was starting to see more celebrities on the covers of magazines. I was starting to see more people talking about what so-and-so was wearing and what music video. And so there was all of a sudden this kind of excitement around the idea of working with celebrities more and less working with fashion editors and runway shows. Um, and I took another leap of faith and came to Los Angeles and started over from, you know, from ground floor once again. So I've always gone where I feel the industry is moving, not where I'm told I should be. So interesting. Yeah. No, that's great. It's um, it's one of the reasons that I love having these conversations, right? Because oftentimes we we tell young people who are who are just starting out, right? Like in order to get to where you want to go, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And then we give people a hard time when they don't, right? Mm -hmm. And ultimately, perhaps they'll end up succeeding in the way they expected or in a different way or not at all. But um, it's, it's part of what I love about these conversations is getting to hear about people who didn't do what they were told to do and ended up in a really great spot. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel really blessed. And I think it goes back to the type of parents I had, who begrudgedly let me do what I needed to do. Um, but I also think it's also some of that kind of just sheer blind confidence of not worrying about failing or getting lost in the path that you're walking on. But I remember at like 23, 24 years old, I would come home to Massachusetts and see all of my friends from high school and they were all lost. 
had just finished college, kind of didn't know what they wanted to do, were kind of expected to start walking on this path that they were told to walk on when they decided what their major was. And here I am fully making an income, doing exactly what I want to be doing, and probably clocked maybe a month and a half of college. So, you know, I think that there there is a, a shift and I what I think is really interesting and it's been going on, I think, since Bernie Sanders and what's going on now with, you know, student debt relief, where the financial implications of going down this this old infrastructure of of, of education into work. A lot of society is questioning that now. And they're questioning it not just because, you know, they it doesn't get you anywhere to, for many people, um, but also you come out the other end of it in huge debt. Um, and now kind of having to go down a path you don't want to go because you have to bail yourself out of whatever hole you're in. So I think it's an, a really exciting uh, time. I think that raising a child or or surrounding yourself with, you know, youth who are moving through kind of this path, I think that there's a lot more other options for where you can walk and where you can go. So it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot has changed in, you know, the window of time since We'll just say, since you were technically in those college years. Back in my day. <laughs> yes, back in my day. Exactly. But it's, you know, it's, I'll add to that, right? Like the realities of what changed through the COVID window and people, you know, shifting from having a side hustle to figuring out how to make that their primary means of income, right? It, it's been a, a very rapid change that got pushed through because of so many of those factors from the ballooning of the student loan debt to the realities of what working life has has become through that window of time. For sure. And I mean, I think that anybody who, you know, has their eyes open knows that lots of people had a, a kind of a, a renaissance in, to their existence. A lot of people felt, you know what, no, that's not the structure of how I'm going to work or no, that's not the path I'm going to walk down. I had a lot of friends in their 40s make complete career shifts. And if you had said that that would have happened 20 years ago, you know, our family, our parents, our, our peers would say, you just don't do that, you know. Um, but I know many people who got very successful and very rich very quickly from that pivot. Um, and I think also culturally, it, it was a huge change. You know, I have senior level top staff that live in Minnesota, who are in who are who are in the epicenter of the fashion industry, but they work remotely and they are just their existence is very different. Um, the path isn't the same anymore, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really great to hear because, you know, I mean, even just where you started with your story, right? You know, you needed to be in New York or London or, and I, I do want to know how you chose London over Paris. Cause again, from a devil wears Prada limited understanding of fashion, I would have assumed Paris. <laughs> right. I mean, A, I'm horrible at languages, even to this day. <laughs> um, I listen, I, I, I had done a like summer program in Paris um, a couple of years before I started college and I absolutely like loved Paris. Um, but it's definitely a stranger in a strange land. If you don't know the language, I also, I'm like, I, at the time I was like a good time guy. Like I want to go out. I want to have some fun. And London was about music and parties and it just seemed a lot more carefree. Um, and, you know, I think it also was a little bit more, um, you know, about punk and about, you know, real street fashion. And that kind of also set up the identity of who I am and what my business is, because a multitude of the fashion brands on my roster are street brands, consumer brands something that you or anyone else can buy. 
I have many friends who also work in the celebrity space with fashion and they do couture and they do red carpet and they do fine jewelry and they do timepieces and watches. Um, and they, they're in a very different strategy than mine. Just me making that kind of informed decision to not try to be that um, was uh, definitely empowering in the identity of, of, of our company. But a lot of those people, those red carpet, the couture, the fine jewelry, those are all those French brands. So I think that starting on a street level 25 years ago kind of became the DNA of, of what I was to become in business. Yeah, it's I mean, it sounds like you really. You know yourself and you took a gamble on who you really are instead of trying to pretend to be something else. I, I tried for a while and then you realize that when someone writes you a check for something that you do that's fully you, you just lean into that. <laughs> exactly. Good feeling. Yes. Exactly. So let's come back a little bit to the next piece of the story. So yeah. you came back to LA, you saw that things were moving that way, celebrity culture and whatnot. Um, how did you metaphorically shove your foot in the door when you got back to LA? <sighs> well, when I came to LA, um, I came here because I had a, a friend who was a designer who was like, if you wanna come and see what LA is all about, come, I'll, I'll fly you out. You'll work for me for like a couple of weeks and you'll let me know what you think. And so I, I took vacation from my job in London and I came out for this consultancy gig and I told my my job in London, listen, I'm going out to help this brand for a, you know, a couple of weeks. I'm taking the vacation time. And I came out here and like, it's really funny. Like the, the job that I was doing, I hated it. I hated the, the woman I was working with. It was like not what I wanted to be doing work-wise, but I fell in love with LA. I fell in love with the nature. I fell in love with the weather. Um, it just was so different than what I'd ever experienced. I had never been to LA until that moment. And so I came back to London after two weeks and said, I don't want to work for that person or work with that person, but I want to come to LA. And I, in a month, made that decision and moved. And what I did was I lassoed in my Rolodex of designers that were in London, um, lots of young designers, lots of, uh, you know, you know, broke designers, <laughs> but ones that I was like, had really great collections and aesthetic. And I said, listen, like, if you can throw me a little bit of money, I'll work at getting your stuff on celebrities. And so, you know, I had about four brands that like just took a chance on me. Um, and the first year here was like pure hell. It was it was really hard. Uh, Hollywood is a hard ecosystem to get into. Um, and, it, you know, it, it was tough. And it was at the end of that first year that another conglomerate agency was opening their West Coast office and they asked me to come work for them. And so... I kind of cut my losses with that and went and worked for this company. It was called Starworks. Uh, they're no longer in existence, but at the time I was doing all the celebrity programs for brands like Diesel and Burberry and Monique Louyer. And um, it was just a little bit more of this corporate infrastructure. Um, and I worked for them for a year and I hated it. And so I, I hated it because it just was corporate America. It was something that I had always shied away from, but it gave me the door. It gave me access to people. It gave me who's who and what's what. I was able to, to take that information and like, okay, so these are the people I need to know. These are the people I need to like, you know, sugar up to um, and build relationships with. And after a year, I left. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to start and do my own company. And I'm going to do it, you know, I'm going to do it my way now that I know who's who and what's what. I remember that day that I decided to do that. I called my father and I was like, so I'm going to give it one more shot. 
And, you know, I'm really excited. And he's like, don't ask me for money. <laughs> and it was like one of those, like, oh God, here he goes again. And it was just, it was funny to me at that moment because it was just like, oh, here he goes on this, this his next hustle. Um, but that was the beginning of the agency and it's been almost 16 and a half years. So um, that building of, a, of, of an agency and the building of a company over the last 16 years has been something that I'm most proud of. Um, it's so many learning lessons about how to run a company, how to be profitable, how to how to scale, how to grow, how to be a boss. I think one of the things emotionally that I'm most proud of is that I currently have a team of 23 um, stellar, amazing staff. But the fact that I am their mentor, that I'm their guide, that I'm their confidant, um, I'm so proud of that because it, that's something that I just knew nothing about. I knew I I knew how to be me and I knew how to hustle me, but I didn't know how to replicate that. And so the replication process and bringing people into my world was um, was a challenge. But yeah, sixteen and a half years later, here we are. So that's amazing. Well, so first, congratulations because that is that is really amazing. I didn't realize it'd been that long. That's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know your team was that big, but I'm going to ask you. So my interest is always in sort of the management and leadership side of things. We touched on it here. I'm curious, you know, how did you learn to do those things? Did you have mentors? Did anybody help you? Did you just mess up a lot of stuff and learn from your, oh, I, from your I, ouches? I think that it was a lot of trial and error. I think that I learned really quickly, um, who were my allies and like how to build uh, friends and confidants that you can bounce ideas off of. But no, I didn't, when it came to running a, a company, I didn't have a mentor. You know, I had, and I think that that's the interesting thing. It's like what I've learned over the years is that you get bits of knowledge from different people. You hire certain people to do certain things you can't do. So it's really this like orchestra of bringing information together. So it's like on the financial side, it's like, how do you do your cash flow projections? How do you know what you can and can't afford? How do you know um, if you're undercharging a client or overcharging a client? What does two, three years look like from now? You're talking to somebody who had straight C's through high school, who never had college education. So I had to find somebody who could be my ally in, in that space. And that ended up being, you know, uh, my CFO, who does all of our bookkeeping, who does all of our cash flow planning. And she's been with us for nine plus years. But like learning the hard way, I mean, that was something that was definitely um, when you, it was a challenge and it was also very exciting because when you finally start to make money, you're like, okay, so now how do I make more? How do I not have this become a house of cards? So like just on the financial and growth side, there was something that was completely new to me. On the people side, on the team side, that's something that I realized through trial and error that I was really good at. And my team manage up. They are they they tell me how it needs to be. Um, we are collaborators, um, and we are hyper communicators. Uh, but at the end of the day we are uh, one organism, you know? And for me, I never boss down. Uh, I don't need to boss down. Um, and I, what I do is when I have team members that are really great communicators on what's working for them, what's not, what is feeding their soul, what isn't, uh, what are they needing to get from A to B, uh, 
Do they know what A to B is? All of these things that are just constant daily conversations help me be a better guide to their careers um, and making sure that I'm feeding them appropriately. Do they need support staff? Do they need a pull away from certain things? Do I need to take them off a certain account because that account is very toxic for them? Um, it's a whole organism and thought process. But the great thing is, and it was actually really funny, uh, I've been saying this like on repeat for the last year. Oprah once said when she walks into, every time she walks into a call um, or a meeting, the first thing she says is, what is the intention of this call? And so every conversation I always have with my team, with my clients is very, uh, you know, uh, intention focused. What do we need to do here? Why are we here today? And so that's where we are able to get through and navigate a lot of these conversations with a lot of productivity. That's awesome. That's, yeah. Um, I love your analogy of it being sort of like an orchestra and right, filling in the right people with the right skills to make the whole thing. And then you get to be kind of the conductor and make it all work together. I have, I have long thought about certain businesses that way. So that's really neat to hear. Um, and yes, I, there are, are many, many years where I have thought in corporate environments, like if I got to train people that were coming in the door, one of the things that I would definitely want to make sure people get about, like, if you schedule a meeting, this is why we're having the meeting. What's the purpose? Perfect. What are we up to Perfect. here? Well, because you also realize as well that a lot of people are like, I'm, you know, I guess we're supposed to be having this meeting. Okay. Well, what are we, what are we meeting about? Well, We've got stuff that we need to get done. I'm like, guys, like intention. What's the goal here? And I think that that also comes from agency life. We always talk about this, like the difference between agency brain and like in-house brain. So there are people who, who might do what I do inside one brand. So like Calvin Klein will have head of celebrity or head of marketing. They'll have a CMO, um, somebody who is who's me internal. There's a singular voice, a singular thought process, and a singular goal um, that you know everyone needs to lasso around. In agency life, we have 23 employees, 30 clients with 30 different strategies, 30 different programs. So it, it's it's hot potato. One phone call after another is completely different, but something completely different. Um, which I love because that's just the way my brain works, but you need to be able to do those things with intention or else all day longer and just be talking about nothing. So, yeah, absolutely. So other piece of that question, right? You mentioned earlier that you have people in Minnesota who are working for you doing this fantastic fashion thing from, you know, a part of the world that we don't normally associate with fashion, let's say. Yeah. yeah. How do you, how do you find the best fashion talent? How do you find the people who are really well-equipped, right? If they're not in the middle of, like you said, right, you went to London to really just like live in the middle of this world where these things were happening. Um, how do you identify people who have what you need and bring what you need to the table without that? You know, I think, it, I, th I think it used to be like, here's this box I need to fill. So let's fill this box with this role. And then as the business grew, it's like, wow, that girl over there is really smart, really cool, really getting the job done. Can we somehow build the ecosystem around her? Because she's great, you know? And so it's been this like hybrid of needs and wants. So like I, when I find somebody that I emotionally as well as, you know, professionally click with, I need to feed that. I've learned that the hard way. I've learned that over the years that talent is in the eye of the beholder. So like if I find somebody to be perfectly, like overly talented for what I want, what I need. So when I find talent, I have to bring that into my world. And I also in that, in this, you know, the other side of the coin is, is that if I have staff that are working for me that are not what I thought they were, or is not feeding the business in the right way, making that those changes swiftly, respectfully is really important. And I think that that's the harder lesson that took for me. 
I had people working for me for years where I was like, this person should have been, this person should have left, quit, fired ages ago. Um, so, you know, the separation of, you know, uh, connecting with somebody and knowing that they're, there is something exciting for your business, but it not being personal and saying, you know, at the end of the day, you're not feeding this business the way it is, or you're not happy here. And so making sure that you're always looking at, you know, your, the team and that it's as, as positive, as optimal as possible. I find fabulous talent from clients. Um, as an example, the SVP of my company was a client <laughs> and then convinced her to jump ship and come join us. My business partner, Jennifer Walker, was a client. So you learn that through collaboration with your clients that there's some people who are like, oh, just like, it's always so much fun collaborating with you. How would you like to do this every day, <laughs> you know? Uh, so it's interesting. As we've expanded in the last year, we now have full-time team members in Canada, Australia, uh, as well as UK. And then we have strategic partners in Mexico City and Singapore. So very quickly, we've kind of layered on this huge global program with all these additional people. And the methodology to that is that they're all like awesome senior level publicists in their region. And they don't have the desire to open their own company. So they get to operate as if they're, you know, they don't have a boss next to them. They don't have team members. Um, so they get to have that entrepreneurial energy to their existence, but they don't have to deal with overheads and the business side of it. So we've found a lot of great talent. Um, there's a lot of Zooms. <laughs> there's a lot of Zooms in my life. I bet there's a lot of screen time. Yeah. But that's great. It sounds like amazing opportunities for people really based on what they actually want, right? Part of what I hear you saying is that like you really, you're identifying people who have the talent and sort of the right vibe and connection with you, but who also want specific things that mesh well with what you want and what you're growing. Sure, exactly. And the, the other side of it, and this is the side that I never, ever will neglect is all of the little atoms that join my company. So we have... Probably, I would say, 30% of our company of staff come from being interns. And then they were then account coordinators. And then they were account managers. And then they were senior account managers. And I've had people work, have been with me for six plus years. And every year it grows. And it's those kids that like pull at my heartstrings because it's those ones where it's like, I see the growth. I see the growing pains. I have seen so many girls become women in my presence. Um, and I mean that from like a professional know thyself kind of energy. I've had many staff over the years who have kind of graduated out of the company or have moved uh, I'll give an example. There was a woman who worked for me for seven years who started as an intern and left a director. She's now head of PR for the Chicago Cubs. She wanted to abandon fashion, go back home to Chicago, start a family. Um, and we always say it's like it, you've graduated Adams School for Girls. Like it's time to send you back out to the real world. Um, and, and it's those staff that when they become fully in their fullest self as women or as men um, and are, you know, leading the charge in their own life, making a great salary, starting their family planning and what their chapters are. It's like, wow, it's so amazing. I remember you fresh out of school. So I'm very grateful that I'm able to have that experience. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, you mentioned that first job in in London, right? Where you no money to pay you, but he was happy to take you on. You could be an intern and, you know, you grew with with that organization over a number of years, right? It sounds like you've got a, a commitment to pay that forward. For sure. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. When, when I was that little kid trying to put my foot through the doors, there was a lot of 
unhealthy, bad people around. You know, that first boss that gave me my first job, he was a bit, you know, abusive. I mean, what person has someone work full time for three years for free? <laughs> By the way, in what world is that even legal anymore? You know what I mean? I don't think it is, but, um, you know, it's definitely not. No, it's definitely not legal. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, but I, 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 there were people who really gave me my first shot by getting me to the door. Doesn't mean that they were necessarily the ones to help me get through the door. Um, and I, like any business owner who's starting their own company, I'm going to do it different. I'm going to do it better. And I really had that commitment that I'm going to bring these kids to the door and I'm going to teach them how to walk through it. I'm going to teach them what happens when they walk in the room. And that's just, I think, you know, generational growth, maybe that like, um, so, so for me, it's, that's such a big blessing. And, and now I see a lot of them, you know, I've got senior staff that are now managing teams of four or five and you see them doing the same thing. And it's like, oh my God, the circle of life is happening too quick, <laughs> but it's happening. So it, it's very exciting. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. You were talking earlier about sort of generational shifts, right? And how people have shifted in some ways away from traditional college experiences and, you know, people having, what did you say, their own renaissance, um, which I love. And I, I think I'm sort of hearing the same is true in your story, right? That people who may have given you opportunities, even if they weren't always healthy, well-balanced spaces to be in, right? You learned as much from what wasn't good for you there as what was, and you're breaking a cycle in the industry, which is that as people come through with you, you're making sure it's not a toxic space and more so that it's a healthy space and they can grow and flourish and like you said, become their, their adult best selves. Exactly. You know, so much I find when I'm talking to my team, it really is actually not like business talk. You know what I mean? Of course it is. It's like making sure strategies are done and Excel decks and blah, 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 blah. But it's also like, how do I manage this energy, Adam? How do I manage this client who's really toxic? How do I set healthy boundaries you know, these are all conversations as far as the human experience. This isn't, you know, what they teach you at Oxford, you know, how to navigate a toxic client. Like, it's just, it's, and, and to me, those lessons happen outside of the office. Those are lessons that you have in your daily life, that you have in the relationships that you carry and that you nurture. Um it's I always whenever I'm talking on other panels or things of this nature, you know, they're always like, give me three things that like, you know, and, and by the way, if you have those three questions, happy to answer them. But like one of the things that always has come up has been like, you know, like, like, you know, what's like one bit of advice for somebody who is taking on your specific industry? And it's like to do to put the counterbalance and energy with everything not about that business. What are you doing for your wellness? What are you doing for your physical activity? What are you doing for your mental health? What are you doing as far as learning to grow and, and mature your emotional language and narrative? These are things that are the real um, gold ticket to business and they have nothing to do with business. So... Um, I think that that's so important to always be hitting home with my team, you know, close that laptop, get to your yoga class, you know, rough morning, see you in a couple of hours, do what you got to do. You know what I mean? Things like that, because um, it's that kind of energy that needs to be brought to business. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, it's so much of what I've seen in the overlap, both when I do like personal self-development work with clients and also when I do leadership development work with clients, right? Is that when you learn some of these skills in your life, they don't stay siloed in that way. So when you learn how to set healthy boundaries in your business environment, you're able to set those healthy boundaries outside of, you know, all of the other areas of life, let's say, right? You come in to do leadership work and you find that as you're learning to communicate better with your employees, somehow your relationship with your spouse or your children, your children improves, right? And like fundamentally, if you were having trouble with that communication, it was everywhere. It wasn't just at work. 
Yeah, it's whole self. You know, at the end of the day, you are you are you are a complete being, and you need to have all of those areas of your whole self um, in sync when it comes to business. Yes, Amen. Amen. So, question for you, because this business was your baby, sixteen yeah. plus years, yeah. right? But somewhere along the way, there you found a partner that you let in. Yeah, that was a um, special domain. Yeah. Jen was my client uh, for five and a half years. Uh, there was a British, there is a British brand called All Saints, which is a, uh, what we call a high street brand. It's one, a brand that you can find in malls and it's cool British clothing at a little bit more of a commercial price point. They were coming to America in 2009 and they needed a huge celebrity strategy. And that was the the, the real client that kind of, took me from small street designers to corporate brands. And that changed the trajectory of my business um, because it was such a successful partnership in the five years that we had collaborated together as agent and and client. Um, We did some amazing, amazing moments and experiences. And in that time, we opened 47 stores in the US together um, it was a huge undertaking and a huge chapter of my my career. Uh, but because of that, there was all of a sudden this secondary wave and appeal for businesses to work with me. And so I had all of a sudden, you know, a tsunami of corporate brands, commercial, big, high spending brands wanting to work with me. Um, but in that, they also said, you know, we want you to do what you do, but we want Jen to do what she does. And so for a year, Jen left All Saints and for a year she consulted and she consulted with me on some brands um, as handling the PR side of the business, which is, you know, the media relations, the storytelling stuff. She also was working uh, with Roxy, DC, Quicksilver, uh, working with them on their business as well. So she was kind of in her entrepreneurial moment of taking on some projects and consulting. And what happened in the matter of months was she was bombarded with the amount of work uh, and the amount of appeal that we were fielding and you know, strike while the iron's hot. So all of a sudden you've got big businesses wanting to give their money to us and we didn't say no, um, but we realized very quickly that we have to change the structure of how we're doing this. And so we reformed the agency from Adam Droas to Walker Droas. And what happened because of that is, is that we opened up more scope of services. So it wasn't just celebrity, influencer, campaign programming events. It was also media strategy, retail programming, advertising. And so all of a sudden, a brand that would be breaking up their budgets to a couple of agencies was like, we'll just give it all to you guys. And that's when business surged. And that was the next chapter in the renaissance of, you know, uh, 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 of our growth because um, you know all of a sudden we were playing with a lot more money all of a sudden we had a lot more staff all of a sudden we had a lot more obligation and goals and pressure and anxiety and so that first year was very exciting it was very hard um, it was a, a little bit of a transition into all of a sudden having a partner that I never had before. Um, But there was something interesting about that, which was, I was glad that my partner was my client first because my ego was already having to be left at the door because I'm servicing a client. So there was already a nature of me being a little bit more collaborative and I figured that if she had just come in as a straightforward partner I probably would have been in my ego a bit more like this is mine this is what I've done and the reality is is that she'd been in the weeds with me for five years um you know it was it was a different transition but the thing that has always stayed true to my partnership with Jennifer is is that what she does I don't do what I do she doesn't do and 
the business structure is where we collide. And that's where we have gotten so, you know, wonderfully calibrated as partners, managing a team, what our, our business strategy, where are we investing our money, where are we investing our energy? These are all things that we meet on a level playing field with, but do very different. And it's grown the business. I mean, when she came on board, I had three staff members. Um, after the first two years, we had nine, you know, we're now at 23. So it's, it worked. <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome. I also think as well, one of the things that I realized in that journey is I had spent give or take eight years of my, of my company solo, emotionally isolated, you know, not having somebody to call and say, am I crazy? Or did this just happen? Or I'm, I'm nervous that this is going to fall apart or yay, we, we want, you know, whatever it is. I never had that. And I never had that since I was, you know, 18 years old. I was always a solo warrior fighting the big fight solo. Um, and so to be able to soften that wall and emotionally collaborate with somebody is something that I'm like the most sacred thing I could have ever asked for. And I think it changed me as a, as a person, it changed me personally. It helped me let go of a lot of personal expectations, um, personal narratives that might not have always been true in my head. Um, collaboration is so important, so healthy in business as well as in life. That's why we have partners, you know what I mean? Um, romantic life partners, you know? Uh, and in business, I think a lot of my clients are solo warriors and see me as that confidant um, and that collaborator. Uh, at the end of the day, even in business, we just don't want to feel like we're all alone, you know? So it's something I hear all the time, right? From people in leadership positions when they're really willing to be honest about it, right? It's that le leadership positions are a really lonely place to be, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you're in a big organization uh, and, you know, politics make it so that you can't really you know, confide in your peers, even though they're there, you're still really on your own. Um, and, so I'm and, so glad that you found a partner you trust. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you, I'm super blessed to collaborate daily with CEOs of billion dollar companies, CMOs um, uh, uh, of huge brands, really high level leaders, in, in 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 the industry and the ones that are really good at their job are the ones that foster and ensure that they are not isolated in their journey um i have a couple of clients who will be left nameless who um are horrible i can't stand them they're they're horrible people who are miserable and don't know where they're walking they're not very good at their job and the the underlying factor to all of them is that they firmly and aggressively isolate themselves from everyone in their organization as well as everyone externally and it's those people that i've had many conversations with where i say I, you're hiring me to be your expert you don't have trust if you don't have trust, I can't do what you need me to do. And so the the best, the best CEOs, the best owners and leaders of industry have some type of collaboration and community, um, however they see that, uh, but they have to have that in order to be successful. It's so nice to hear you say that. It's always nice to hear somebody who isn't sort of in the field that I'm in, right? Acknowledging that the, this is your lived experience. These are your observations from all of the different people that you've worked with. It's, um, and it's, you know, it's consistent, certainly, right? Yeah, if sure. you live in a bubble, it's, things are going to get tricky for a whole host of reasons. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the quicker you learn that, the happier you'll be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So I have a few more questions for you, if I may. Please. Um, the first is I like to just check in with everybody about a few things. One of which is most people um, who've had these sort of lovely winding journeys have an experience somewhere along the way of somebody being really unexpectedly kind, doing them mm -hmm. a favor, making a connection, forgiving a mistake in a way that was really unexpected, but that sort of opened a different path for them. Is there an example that you could share with us? You know, in my world of Hollywood, <laughs> favors are the currency. And I hate to say it like that, but with that comes people doing right by me every day. You know what I mean? And like, I, from a general perspective, you know, people always help me out, do that favor. I mean, something as simple as like, I'm running to see this A-list actress. I'm going to shove that bag of your stuff right in front of her. Like something that is a lot of nuanced work and it's a huge favor to do. And it's about maintaining those people who do right by you. Um, I, you know, I think I will say that, you know, the the pivotal point was, um, was Jen when she hired me for All Saints because at that time, you know, she's meeting with other conglomerate agencies. And I'm this guy that has this agency that's been going for a couple of years out of his studio apartment, you know, who doesn't have any corporate brands, but saw the hustle and just gave it a shot. Everything told her that this probably wasn't the best avenue for her to go, but her gut said, go with it. And so I think it's those people who do those gut checks and take those leaps of faith. That was a really, really big one. I, I think as well, you know, happens on a daily basis, you know, and when you're dealing with celebrities and you're dealing with millions of dollars for billion dollar companies, those things that happen are really, really bad. But if you are the kind of person that, you know, give people the grace and come to the table with your A game and come to the table open-hearted, when happens, um, they'll give you that grace back as well. I think at the end of the day, there's so many things in this world that we have no control over. Um, you know, and when it is something that has gone wrong, that has been of my fault or a bit of my team's fault, people just want you to tell them that you're sorry, you know, and what's the solution. So, um, you know, I don't have anything more specific than that, but um, yeah, I think it's really about if you're coming correct and you're consistent, people will give you the grace. No, it's nice to hear that that has been your experience, especially, you know, as you said earlier, right? Uh, Hollywood is not an easy space to break into it, probably regardless of which angle you're trying to break into it from. So um, dealing in kindness and favors as currency and having that be a positive experience, because I can absolutely see where that could be a really toxic, negative experience. For sure. I mean, you know, you get a lot of people, you know, it's like, well, I did this for you and you did this for me. Like, that's not what I mean. I mean, like, hey, this this one did right by me. And now I have this money to spend on a program. Why don't I give that money to the person who did right by me? You know, it's. It's taking care of your own, if, if that's the right way to say it. Yeah, a little, little bit of building, building a circle, building some family, some connections. And yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. So last question for you. It's a lot like those panel questions. <laughs> I love it. But I can't, can't, let you, can't let you leave without asking since it is the name of the show, right? If you could go back at, at any point and tell a former version of yourself something from where you are today, what would you tell yourself? pace yourself. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Um, be wise with your money and continue to make sure you're having fun. You know, you have to be in love with this life. You have to be in love with this career. So just always have that gut check. Are you having fun? Are you enjoying this? Um, because all this, none of this you can take to the grave. So definitely that. That sounds like some really good advice. 
I hope so at this point. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me today. Yes, thank you for joining me. It's been really interesting to hear about all the different pieces of your story and how they got you to where you are. Thank you so much. And I, I, I really hope that, um, you know, it, it has some kind of meaning or significance to somebody else. Because I know back in the day, you know, we didn't have this. We didn't have these conversations. So I'm so grateful that I can share my story. Yeah. Well, I, I always think sharing your story is a gift. So uh, thanks for that. Thank you so much. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the show and found something to support you wherever you are on your own journey. Don't forget to subscribe where you listen to your podcasts and head over to itellmyself.com to sign up for updates. Until next time, take care.